When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. Well, 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 you decided to come back for more. I'm your boy Sully. This is Talking Out Loud. Thanks for joining us for another rousing episode in the third installment of our summer series. Absolute delight to have you in for the next hour. We're talking Dayton hoops as we always do. Getting ready for the TBT coming up on July 23rd for you Dayton Flyers basketball fans at UD Arena. But the TBT actually kicks off this coming Saturday, July 16th. We're recording right here on the 13th, releasing to you on July 14th. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, Jam-packed show today. I have a Norm Grevy on the back half of the program. He joined me for about 45 minutes. And for you younger fans, if you don't know who Norm Grevy is, he played uh, until 1991 from 87 to 91 for the Flyers. Um, and, and he won an NCAA tournament game for the Flyers uh, way back in 1990 before Dayton took a 19-year hiatus from winning such games. So that uh, uh, sorry interview is coming up on the back half uh, of the program. But before we jump into that, a couple of updates that we have had uh, come across the uh, computer screen since I last caught up with you. Not the least of which was UD announcing the uh, date, which is set now for the game against Virginia Tech. That is going to take place on Wednesday evening, December 7th in Blacksburg, which means the schedule for the Dayton Flyers now has four games left uh, to be filled out. Uh, That is likely going to be, number one, the home opener, which is going to be on Tuesday, uh, November 8th, I'm going to assume. Uh, So write that down in your calendars. We don't know that for sure, but since the Flyers are playing on Friday night at home against uh, SMU on the 11th, uh, it stands to reason that they're going to start their season on November 8th, again, that Tuesday night. Uh, From there, uh, games in December are the ones that we need to fill out. Uh, That weekend of December 3rd needs taken care of, the weekend of the 10th, and then that game they play right before Christmas, which usually kicks off a week-long break before we get into A-10 play. Uh, Luck, or... um, likely uh, going to be a lesser foe. We're talking buy games. Uh, we're talking, you know, give them the warm meal in the hotel and send them home happy type of uh, teams. But those are three games that we lost last year. So as Dayton Flyer fans, we now know going into this 2023 basketball season that those are not gimmies. Uh, so that was first and foremost. A lot of scheduling news that's been coming across the uh, the Twitterverse. If you are on Twitter uh, all the time like I am, uh, even if you're not, uh, there's scheduling news that's been coming out left and right. A little bit slower than previous years, I believe, out of the 350-ish teams in college basketball. Only about 16 or 17 have the full non-conference schedules out there. One of them being our former rivals to the south on 75, the Xavier Musketeers. Once again, 
to the surprise of no one, there will not be a Dayton-Xavier rematch to renew the rivalry. Not that there was ever speculation that there was going to be, but uh, that is definitely set in stone now. That is not coming back around. Instead, Xavier uh, decided to go with the daunting stretch of Morgan State, Montana, Fairfield, southeastern Louisiana, and they finished up with a raucous tilt against Southern on December 13th. Just an absolute murderer's row of buy games right there for the Musketeers instead of playing Dayton, uh, which kind of leads me into my first points for tonight. Uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, but when you look at Xavier's schedule um, and pretty much any schedule through the Big East, the Big Ten, uh, the Big 12, you can see now as a reasonable fan why there's just no room for Dayton to wiggle their way on to a lot of these schedules. Um, Xavier has... Uh, six games built into the non-conference schedule. They have the Gavit tip-off games, which are against Big Ten teams. They got Indiana this year. It'll be a great matchup. Uh, they go to the Phil Knight Legacy Classic over Thanksgiving. That's three games, so we're up to four, right? Then they play West Virginia in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. Again, pre-negotiated. That's game five. And then they have the Crosstown Shootout every year against Cincinnati. That's game number six. So uh, to get yourself to, what, you know, 12, 13 games, you really just have to bring in uh, a couple of schmucks, uh, a couple of bottom feeders. Again, feed them well, make sure the check clears when they get back to campus, and give them a good sound beating. That's uh, a rinse and repeat type of approach to non-con scheduling. And unfortunately, uh, for programs like Dayton, this is how we get left out into the cold, and they need to get a little bit more creative about how they put teams on the schedule. So that's why you're starting to see more neutral games like in Chicago against Wyoming. Um, and you're starting to see programs like SMU pop up consistently because SMU and the American Conference finds themselves in a very similar dilemma uh, to where Dayton is. Um, the American is a fringe conference. It's not really uh, of the likes of the Big Ten, the Big East, SEC, etc., uh, just like the A-10. So I think, honestly, you're going to see a lot more of this Mountain West, A-10, AAC games on the schedule. Um, of course, that's uh, barring conference realignment that we're seeing in college football, that could start to shake up um, the leaves of uh, non-conference scheduling down the road. But as it stands right now, um, that's kind of the dilemma and the the uphill climb that uh, that Dayton is up against. Uh, you'll hear Norm Grevy here coming up in a little bit talk about how Dayton used to play Notre Dame, uh, used to play a lot of local rivalries like Cincinnati and Xavier, of course, um, as an independent. But you know the college landscape has shifted in the last thirty years. It's shifted in the last ten years, and those games just are really not palatable for teams that are in power conferences like the Big East and the Big Ten because of the reasons I just outlaid, right? You have six games that are already baked into the schedule. You don't really have to go out looking for any more games uh, that are difficult beyond that. Um, so, like I said, Dayton, four games left to schedule. Uh, I would love to see three bye games and maybe one game that's going to be half decent. Um, whoever that's against, I don't know. I actually haven't heard a whole lot of rumblings about the schedule in the last three weeks leading up into the 4th of July and now here into mid-July. Haven't heard a whole lot of rumors spinning around. I got the UNLV tip pretty early, and then that game came to fruition. But right now, uh, we're just kind of sitting put because really what happens at this time of year, I put this on Twitter last week, is that Dayton typically will leave the weekends open that I had mentioned because if a team comes back around that is desirable for them to play, you don't want to already commit those dates to buy games. So it's a, it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game when you get into this kind of um, – into this period of the scheduling in the offseason because Dayton's kind of waiting to hear from other programs that they want to play. Um, and then the trickle down, the domino effect will, will kind of lead to the actual schedule getting out. You know, they make the calls pretty quickly to uh, solidify those buy games once they have figured out yay or nay, um, you know, the programs that they actually want to play can play them. Additional news and additional things I wanted to address before we got in, and mainly this was the main topic. Uh, we always talk about scheduling uh, in the off season, um, and that's always you know the topic of conversation because it is a little bit more intricate over here in Dayton Flyerland. But uh, the other thing you know we wanted to talk about here as uh, the NBA Summer League is going on, and I found this quite interesting. Got into a discussion with some friends about this uh, recently. Was uh, about 
guys leaving college basketball and then where they go from here. Um, and the topic of conversation came up because of Jalen Crutcher. Uh, he's now in his second offseason or second season, if you will, in trying to make an NBA roster. Didn't happen for him last year. He was in the G League for the entire season. Um, didn't even really get one of those you know, 10-day contracts to come up or two ways, what have you. And Inside sources, people I can trust, um, you know, have relayed to me that uh, Jalen's representation really didn't do him any favors. You know, he signed with the same firm that uh, John Morant had because they're buddies from Memphis. And frankly, they've done a pretty shit job on his behalf from what I have been told. Um, You know, the representation that you have going into these discussions with NBA teams is pretty paramount you know if you have bad representation you can probably guess uh how those discussions unfold and like i said been told that his representation did him no favors and so it left him scrambling to secure a training camp invite uh to get the bonus that's associated with it and you see on the flip side of things uh ibby watson he had a pretty straightforward offseason uh got a deal immediately and he has also been playing in the g league but that, that brings me to the discussion point i wanted to open up tonight um you know before i get over to norm is the decisions that have to be made after you go into college basketball and you might say to yourself well why is crutcher you know messing around in the summer league when he's probably not going to make a roster spot why not go over to europe well it's it's really more complicated than that. It's really not cut and dry. When you consider that if you get on a 10-day contract in the NBA, you're going to get a minimum of $50,000. If you're in your second year in the league, you're going to get $80,000. If you get a two-way contract, meaning they can move you up or down onto the NBA roster or back down to the G League, you get $500,000 just for that league year. It used to be based on game time, uh, games played in the NBA. Now, it's just a flat rate. You get a two-way contract, half million bucks. If you sign on a bad team or even a good team on a one-year contract, that means you're on the roster for the whole year. Chris Johnson had something like this, I believe, with the Utah Jazz about seven years ago. You get about a million dollars. So you consider that, okay, you know, Jalen Crutcher's trying to, to mess around. And I hate to use him specifically as an example. Look at this example as more higher arching. But let's just say, you know, you're a guy coming out of college. Uh, you were a college star. And your boyhood dream was to make the NBA. Your whole life, that's all you've worked for, making an NBA roster. And now, in the Summer League, in the G League, you are quite literally as close as any human being on the planet can come to being on an NBA roster but you're still arm's length away and you can't get there. It really is a tough decision for guys that, again, have talked about their whole lives, how they want to be in the NBA, and then someone all of a sudden is going to come in and tell you as a 22-year-old adult that you cannot be on this NBA roster or that your best option is going overseas and playing over there. I think it goes without saying that a lot of these basketball players are a raw, raw type of guys. They are not looking at the negatives. There's no objectivity. Um, they have trouble being realistic about their situations, and who can blame them? You know, you, you've been talked up your whole life as a great basketball player, and now you're one step away from fully realizing your dream, and someone says, no, you can't do that. You're going to have to go over to Europe. Would you listen to that advice as a 22-year-old? I know I would definitely have some trouble uh, heeding that guidance, to be honest with you. And, and that's kind of where guys find themselves is, do you go overseas and and play for pretty good money? I mean, look, Ryan Mike saw one over there. Not that he had options to go into the, the NBA Summer League or anything like that. I don't believe he got a training camp invite. But my point is just that he's gone over to... to to uh, Germany, did really well. Now he's going to be playing in France, getting really good paychecks to play basketball. Um, you know, it's a really hard decision, and it really just comes down to guys being realistic about their own abilities and their own ceilings as basketball players. Because if you've been conditioned your whole childhood and growing up to think you can never die, no one can put you down, you have the can do attitude, you can make it, and then you're that close, how can you be told at 22? that that is not the most realistic path. 
It's very hard to change course. And so I, I wanted to start there tonight to, to have people realize that this is just not a cut and dry situation for guys trying to make the league. And um, unfortunately for our boy Jalen, he's had a really rough go of it. Uh, in the summer league in his second game I believe he was a minus 21 uh, I think he was like one for nine from the field uh, last night he played was plus 11 he had seven assists uh, but scored six points and it really was a non-factor in the game um, had a couple of highlights but um, you know it's it's disappointing I, I want you know the the Dayton guys to see some roster spots in the NBA and as it stands right now I just don't see that panning out for Crutcher in the most realistic terms um, so Something to keep an eye on. You know, we always like following our guys. Again, if you do like following the Dayton players and what they're doing in the professional ranks, go at ProLoud, P-R-O-L-O-W-D, at ProLoud on Twitter. He goes uh, by Professionally Loud is his name, and he will keep you up to date on all the goings-on of the Dayton Flyers in the professional ranks wherever they may be. Uh, last little housekeeping thing for you. Uh, I talked to the organizers this past week, marketing guys at the TBT, and uh, they were really pumped that we were doing the summer content. Uh, you know, Norm Grevy having him on because he's number one, a former player, but number two, he will be doing the ESPN radio broadcast with Justin Kinner of the Red Scare Games coming up on the 23rd. So I wanted to have him on, and while we promote the TBT, I wanted to remind you, go to my Twitter page. Uh, I shared a link uh, to a bracket challenge for the TBT. TBT. Go in, fill that out. It's just like a bracket challenge for the NCAA tournament. And if I get 50 entries, they'll hook us up with some pretty cool prizes. There's a $30,000 cash pool for uh, the winners uh, of this bracket challenge. And I've made a group. It's Red Scare is Loud. Again, look at my Twitter at Sully My Good Name. I've shared the link. I'll keep sharing it up until Saturday, the 16th. Fill it out. We get 50 people. We get some pretty cool prizes. So win-win for everybody as we promote the TBT. And that is exactly what we were doing with this interview with Norm Grevy. Coming up on the other side of the break, you're listening to Talking Out Loud with your boy, Sully. We'll be right back. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And welcome back into Talking Out Loud. We're still here and still the best podcast for Dayton basketball fans everywhere. And of course, I'm still your host, Sully. You know, um, when I look at the pantheon of people that I always want to have on the show, I always start with former players, of course, here on Talking Out Loud. And if you've listened to previous interviews that we've done with Sean Finn, Keith Wallace-Kowski, Jordan Seibert, Kyle Davis, uh, Bobby Worley, those have always been the best interviews that we've done here on the show. Um, give you a different perspective, pull up the curtain a little bit between fan and player, and sometimes, you know, marry the two things because oftentimes when you're done being a player, all you have left, of course, is to be a fan. So um, our, our good friend Justin Kinner over at ESPN Radio was kind enough to link me up with another former Flyer who's joining me on the show right now, graduate 1991 of the Dayton Flyers, and even won an NCAA tournament game during his time on campus. Uh, I'm joined now by Norm Grevy, all the way over in Springboro, Ohio, joining the program on Talking Out Loud today. Norm, it's great to finally have you on the show and get together talking some Dayton hoops in the middle of the summer, right? Yes, sir, Sully. It's uh, very appreciative to be on with you. Um, you know, you do a, a good, a great job of uh, promoting the brand of uh, Loud and uh, UD basketball. 
And uh, you're right. You do have the best podcast in the A10. That's a guarantee. <laughs> oh, that's that's high praise to start the show, Norm. I appreciate it, man. Um, yes, sir. You know, I think one of the reasons I, I've wanted to have you on the show for a couple of years is that you don't always agree with what I have to say on Twitter and you're not very shy about voicing it, which I appreciate more than anything because I don't like people hiding in the shadows. If you have something to say about the Flyers, I'd rather it be out in the open so we can argue about it. And you're one of those guys, right? And that's what I love <laughs> yeah. about you, you know, because like I said, when you're done playing for the Flyers, I think every every guy when he's done playing kind of takes on a different kind of fan, right? Like some mm-hmm. guys just like being in the shadows. I like being quiet, showing up to games uh, like Jimmy Benny's one of those guys. He's not very public, but he goes to games a lot. Huge fan, right? And then right. you got guys like Ryan Mikesell, who he loves anything he can do for the Flyers. Um, and, and you have all kind of walks in between. So um, I, I guess that that's where we'll start tonight. I, I kind of fancy you as one of those guys that's a, a purveyor of Dayton basketball uh, history and, and legend yeah. and lore and all that. And um, I don't know, where, where do you where do you say you stand on the spectrum now as, you know, being a former player and now just just being a fan? Well, it's it's uh, I'm a big fan, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live and die with uh, UD basketball. I've been in town uh, ever since I came to campus here in 1986. Uh, I've never left. I've lived in Dayton and Springboro my whole life now, essentially. This is home. And so UD basketball brought me here. Uh, so I owe a lot, and I'm going to defend a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't oh, play yeah. defense on the, on the basketball court, but I might be able to do it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, so, uh, no, I'm just a diehard fan, and there's many other guys like myself, whether it be Rory Dallinghouse or Ed Young and myself, uh, Bill Yule, you know, a lot of the, the older guard. Uh, we still uh, love the Flyers for sure. Yeah, even you know Roosevelt Chapman. He he's been one of those guys too. Oh, you yeah. always see him around from time to time, right? He's not always around, but when you least expect it, he pops up. You know, makes an appearance and and shakes some hands, right? So oh, yeah, like you said, all those guys kind of have a different um, level of of fandom. You know, once they they get out of the program, and um, and I think it I think it's well said. You know, to, to kind of start start the show here today is that. Uh, it's kind of born out of the fact that a lot of the guys do owe a lot of things to to UD basketball and the program. And, you know, I said this to Brooks Hall a while back is that he he kind of opened my eyes to, well, you can't just be critical fan all the time. You know, you got to consider what the guys are doing on the floor, what the coaching staff um you know, is considering from game to game because I tend to be pretty critical when the guys lose or, you know, when their performance isn't, you know, up to snuff with what we expect, right? But right. one of the things I, I told Brooks that, that hit him kind of in the middle of the eyes one day was that I think one of the reasons that fans do take the liberties to be so critical is that the fans kind of are always here, whereas some players, you know, they come and go, right? They're in the, the program for a couple of years and then they're gone, but the fans are still there. 13,000, they're still showing up. But the players look at it differently and say, well, you're just a fan. You don't play. What would you know? You didn't wear the uniform. And it, and I always am very fascinated by that dichotomy because it's like the fans take great pride because we're always here. But the players take great pride because they're the ones doing the work. Right. And I think there's mm-hmm. something to be said for that back and forth. But for me personally, and like trying to do my best to sit in the middle of that, I think I have a greater appreciation of why guys like yourself and guys that wear the uniform defend the program so much. Right. And I think I'm getting to right now in 2022, um, Anthony Grant debates really hot. Right. So uh, I I guess first real pointed question is, how do you feel about the program right now, the direction they're headed and and how interesting has it been for you to see kind of the evolution from um, you know, let's call it the dark years and uh, Oliver Purnell and then Brian Gregory, Archie Miller. And and now, of course, the, the regime that we have uh, with Anthony Grant. Uh, well, I'm I'm very excited with the program. You know, it was unfortunate in 020 that we didn't get to compete for the uh, national title. Yep, I think that year was going to be Kansas State or UK. And I'm really uh, you see what uh, Maxi and uh, quickly how they were playing well at, at, at UK down the stretch. Kansas obviously had beaten us uh, barely. 
And, uh, you know, I think uh, the Flyers, you know, going to Indianapolis in the Final Four possibly, I think that was a setup for a miracle, not a miracle, but a once-in-a-lifetime run, maybe twice-in-a-lifetime run. Yeah. So I'm pumped. You know, obviously last year was heartbreaking to see uh, Malachi get hurt against Richmond. Yep. Because I think that was uh, money in the bank that got taken away. And, uh, but, you know, I think Anthony, uh, you know, I feel for him what he's had to go through. But in all honesty, he is uh, the right guy for the program. Uh, The players love him. You know, I'm around the program a little bit. I go there, see him practice a couple times a year. um, He's a good friend. Uh, We were teammates for one year. We overlapped one year. But Mm -hmm. Anthony was a very quiet uh, leader always guarded our toughest player and and didn't say a whole lot, but he led by example. And he's he's similar to that way with media and on the floor. He's very reserved, but then occasionally he can bust out and get crazy. And I think <laughs> the fans love to see that, you know, like he did against St. Louis. But all and all, you know, all honestly, I think we got a chance to be a. I saw you your tweet the other day where we could be a five seed and Lenardi's uh, upcoming. Yeah. You know, the only worry I have is uh, going into this year is uh, we're going to have a bullseye. It's right. Uh, you know, we're going to face everybody's biggest game when you're ranked because uh, that's a that's a big win for them. Not you know in the NCAA committee's eyes. So we got to be ready. We got to close out second halves, and I think we got to get a little bit better at, at shooting the basketball as a team maybe reduce a little turnovers. And I think that's, that'll be, you know, experience in the second half. That'll be the difference uh, from this year and last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you're absolutely right. Top of the show. Uh, as I started off tonight, that was the first thing I was talking about to fans is that this year is going to be a little bit different for everybody because we haven't had this level of preseason hype in in quite some time. Um, right. 2017 was probably the last time 2016 fall into the 2017 season was probably the last time that we had very high expectations for a team because, um, you know, fans listening yourself, remember there wasn't a whole lot of like high expectations for that 2020 team until they got back from Maui. I mean, we haven't had a preseason top 25 team now in five years again to back to the 2017 year. And uh, 2020 was just kind of weird because that team came out of nowhere for a lot of people. I know Dayton fans were kind of high on them and thought that they had a high ceiling, but I don't think anybody could have predicted, you know, how that actually played out. Um, Well, Obi's ascension to the top really—it was so quick, and it just took us right through the charts. And it was, you know, like you say, it was an incredible year. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it, um, I think, you know, for me personally, it kind of opened, or, or let me back up, like for the fan base as a whole, it kind of opened their eyes to what was possible. And I hate to say it, but guys like myself that have been kind of screaming from the hills, like, hey, we have to take that next step as a program. I think it was vindicating for a lot of people to say, hey, we don't have to be you know, just scraping by to get an NCAA tournament bid. We don't have to be in the NIT every couple of years. It's possible to get into the the NCAA tournament every single year and be the best team in the conference and have a ranking next to our, our name every season, right? And I think that's what we've been chasing as a program for the better part of 20 years now is how do we get consistently good? And I don't know, you agree or disagree, it sounds like you agree that you know, Anthony Grant is probably the guy that has us best position to get there. Um, it's certainly from a recruiting standpoint, definitely from a culture standpoint. And now the only thing we got left to do is actually proving it on the floor, right? And getting those wins and, and getting that national notoriety. Yeah. And, and one thing I'll go back into the mid 80s and even in the 70s, if Dayton won 17 or 18 games, it was almost a lock to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, yep. That's how hard it was for them to get to 18 wins. Now we feel as a program we have to get to 22, 23. Last year we still didn't get in after beating the number one team in the country that won it all in Kansas. We beat Virginia Tech. We beat Miami of Florida. So for whatever reason, uh, the NCAA looks at us as little fish, even though they promote our arena like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, which I think it is. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But for whatever reason, we don't get that respect on Selection Sunday. Gregory got uh, missed a couple when there was – it was possibly – 
we should have got in. I don't know when Chris Wright got hurt. We went to the NIT. Uh, then the other thing is, is uh, when we don't make the tournament and get 23 wins, we have to go on to the road. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've always, I just don't think we're a very lucky program. Every once in a while, uh, you need some luck. Yeah. And uh, you look at the 020 year, you look at last year, we have that game against Richmond. They still should have taken us. Uh, I don't know if our, Scooch or uh, Malachi could have played in the in the NCAA tournament. Maybe that you know we were so close. But what I'm yeah. getting at is in the '80s we had we were trying to get 18 wins. Uh, today yeah. it, it's we, we got to get five more wins, you know, and it's uh, it's tough. It, it's not. I know it's an excuse. It is not easy anymore to get NCAA bids, and we think it should be easy. But then you get a, a, a program like Wyoming and uh, the Mountain West, I think, brought in South Dakota. I mean, they brought in five teams. Uh, I can't remember the last time the A-10s had five bids, maybe back when in 014 or something. Yeah, but, 14, I think, was the last time they had more so than three or four. It's yeah. just harder. It's harder, you know, and then you got the football schools and the money and you see teams like Michigan get in last year. To me, that's an embarrassment. They were an embarrassment. What Juwan Howard did, I don't think was a, a very sportsmanlike. Yeah, you know, um, and they get rewarded for an NCAA tournament. Granted, they won a couple of games in the tournament, but they didn't really beat anybody. that did anything because the Big Ten hasn't done anything in over twenty years in the NCAA tournament. So we just have to fight the money game. We have to fight the politics, and it's tough. It's very tough. Yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of little brother attitude around our program. And I think a lot of fans do kind of act like they have, you know, we have that chip on our shoulder, right? Um, It's well, you know, well documented on this program that 24 wins is that's the watermark now. That's where Dayton has to be. And to your point, I think what's gotten more difficult is navigating those scheduling waters that you're looking at right now in July to get the program where it needs to be to get those 24 wins, but also have them quality, have them be quality wins while avoiding the bad losses. And you see last year that unfortunately the season was over before it started. And all they were doing was kind of climbing up the mountain that they had, you know, put themselves at the bottom to start the season. And, and that was really the downfall of the team because it's, you know, we want the team to keep getting better as the season goes on, but that is with the stipulation that you take care of business when the season starts. And obviously, you know, it goes without saying that they just didn't do that in November. And I think, I think, I hope, um, you know, that just won't be a problem here coming into this year because yeah. at the very least, the very least norm, the guys on the team this year understand the importance, not just of the big games, but every single game, you know, like, you can't hand wave over losses anymore because for teams like Dayton, you just saw it this past year, that ice is just too thin um, yeah. Yeah. to allow for it. Right. Um, no, you're very right. And I think uh, you mentioned chip on the shoulder. I think that's going to be the one difference is this team had versus last year is that they're, they've got that year under the belt. They saw how close they were, uh, but yet how far away they were, you know, early in the year. So I think if they come, I, and from what I've understood, they have a big chip on their shoulder. And if you have that, then you can counterattack uh, everybody's big game. Yep. You know? And like any year, you're going to have hiccups on the road. We'll lose to LaSalle. Or, or, <laughs> you, you, Inevitable. You know, those are guarantees in our pro- – we're going to have a horrible – Lost this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna happen. It happens every year. We're gonna man. be bitching each other on Twitter. You know, I'll be like, <laughs> yeah. "Man, the season's over," and you'll be like, "Stuff it!" And everybody yeah. will be angry, and that's that's how it's gonna go, man. It's inevitable. We'll think the world's coming to an end because we had the game one and blew it or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but man. That's just being a Flyer fan, yeah. you know, ups and downs. But, you know, when you think back in the '80s, um, we had Notre Dame that would visit. We had Ohio state. We played a four game series. I played in two of them, uh, with Ohio state. Yep. We played a home and away with Louisville. Um, there wasn't so many conference tournaments. I mean, preseason tournaments, you know, uh, you had the NIT, the preseason NIT and you had Maui Hawaii deal. Yeah. Uh, so teams were forced and obviously we were an independent, but even when we joined the MCC in 80, 80- eight or 89 
we still played, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame. We still, yeah. Uh, and I think that's terrible. We don't play uh, Notre Dame. I don't understand how we can't get a game occasionally against them, um, yeah. or a game against Ohio State, uh, let alone a game against Xavier. I mean, you would think that two schools that dislike each other that much. Uh, it's unbelievable that we we don't play them anymore yeah. regardless of who's at fault it's unbelievable and unfathomable for me because that was our rivalry and, and and if you talk to those cincinnati guys down there at xavier they'll say the same thing uh yeah. dayton and cincinnati and xavier there was a dislike on the court and it was what it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean know? you know obviously i can sit here and you know we can kind of hash out all of the underlying reasons why they don't happen the college basketball landscapes change and they don't have to schedule us anymore because right. that's frankly what's happened you know they just don't need to schedule games like dayton they already have them baked into their schedule um and you know those those points are all all well accounted for but i guess that's that's a good place to go today is for younger fans and i do have plenty of them that listen to the show um you know, I love going down down memory lane and playing a little history lessons. And um, for Flyer fans that don't know out there, again, Norm graduated 1991 from the Flyers. Um, career uh, actually, you know, had an NCAA tournament win under his belt. I believe that was sophomore year, right? Um, uh, junior year in 90. Yeah. Um, was that 90 you guys went to the tournament? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. Junior year. Um, and uh yeah, and the you know that you know, unfortunately or fortunately is like that was a great win for the program, but then you know it took a really long time to get back up to that plateau and win another game. Mm-hmm. So much so that you guys won that uh, 1990 tournament game the year I was born, and uh, <laughs> the next time the Flyers won a tournament game. I was watching it from the dorms at Marianas Hall as a freshman. So that tells mm-hmm. you exactly how long it was between uh, you know those uh, those wins. Yeah. Um, again, for for flyers to uh, flyers to get a little history lesson here, uh, the 1990 uh, NCAA tournament, Dayton opened up against Illinois. Uh, they beat them by two, and then they lost to Arkansas in a very tight game, also uh, by two, uh, just two days later. Um, Norm, when you look back on those years, and, and let's say you know 1990 specifically playing in the NCAA tournament, I know that that one was always sour for you because you got hurt in that uh, in what in the Illinois game, right? But right. um, what do you remember the most about that experience, and particularly that season? Because you know, that was a historic season for the program. Beat Xavier in the conference tournament at home um, after beating them a, like a, what a week earlier. Same thing at home. Mm-hmm. What do you remember the most about that that year and, and those uh, those times? Well, I remember what I remember most is the the grind it took to get there. Uh, You know, we were all highly recruited. Miguel Knight was from Detroit. We had Bill Yule, myself, uh, Anthony Corbett, Nolan Robinson, McCracken. Uh, We had Wes Coffey, Ray Springer. Most of us guys were local guys. Yep. And um, those times have changed, haven't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have anybody from Dayton anymore. Yeah, I mean, it was everybody was from Dayton on a team back in the day. And We're lucky Alder. to get a guy from the Midwest now. <laughs> like, Half our team was from Alder one year. You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we went through some growing pains, and Coach Donaher got fired. I injured my ACL, my fourth game here at UD. I did it my senior in high school. Uh, Miguel Knight missed a year that next, that same year. Uh, I think what culminated in 90 is after the coaching changed, we changed how we played. We changed how we uh, – our whole motto was to outscore the opponent. We really weren't worried about defense. Uh, and we our whole agenda to going into the game was to score 90 points and be in the best conditions of your lives. And, and if you look through the stats, we averaged uh, 89.3. We were like fifth in the nation. Yep. Uh, we were one of the top uh, – shooting teams in the country. Nigel Knight and I both shot 50% from the field and over 47 from three. So we were the hottest shooting backcourt uh, in the country. And I came off the bench 31 straight games. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's got to play the role, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then coach uh, O'Brien, the first thing he said to us was like, you know, Don Donner has been a man defense guy. And you know what? Uh, if I coach like that, we're going to lose, you know, because you guys can't guard. 
So I'm just going to sit back in a zone. We're going to press and try to outscore teams using uh, – and uh, we only turned the ball over 14 times. But to make a long story short, we were 11-9. and nine. We had lost three straight, went to Marquette, middle of the year, um, and beat him on a last-second shot. Miguel Knight beat him, and Coach really challenged. He looked at the games down the stretch, and he goes, guys, we got a chance to win out the conference tournaments at our home floor – and we had just lost to Loyola in Chicago mm-hmm. in front of 200 fans in the amphitheater uh, down on the south side. And it, no one was at the game. We lost. And we go to Marquette. We had a brutal four-game road trip and beat him. First time ever, Dayton beat Marquette at Marquette. And after that, man, it was uh, all she wrote. We went on a run that was memorable. and We were scoring uh, we scored 111 on senior night and then beat Notre Dame by 29 and uh, scored 97 on them. Uh, it was, we scored in the nineties for four or five straight games and in winning beating Xavier, who was top 20 in the country twice in a week, you know, yep. to finish that when I mean, we were in cloud nine. So we went to uh, uh, Austin, Texas, uh, beat Bardo and Gill and Marcus Liberty. They were a, you know, they were in the Final Four. I think a year or two, the year before, and both those guys played in the NBA. Kendall Gill was an All American, and oh uh, yeah, yeah. Gell just played great, and we won. And I got hurt that right at halftime, and uh, just a, a a very bad back bruise. I couldn't have played for the next two weeks, you know. Sheesh. But I'm I was 100 percent fine after two weeks, but. Couldn't play in the Arkansas game, and uh, you know they were uh, a superior athletic team and made starting the dynasty the at that time, they right? Had Oliver Miller and Todd Day, and yeah, yeah, that was they were just starting the like real good Arkansas starting. dynasty at that time, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was just a great memory, and playing in that NCAA tournament was just a you know it's a dream come true, and after all the heartaches that we had, the fans really. Um, led us along the arena was rocking like like pittsburgh flyers game you know it was like that that whole month of the season it was just bedlam and um yeah i remember that i remember the fans and just beating uh xavier twice is like the greatest memory i'll ever have you know yeah yeah you know um you're you're spot on right like uh it's funny I always ask guys that, like, what do you remember? And um, guys always differ on that. Like some guys, they're like, I scored 22 and four. Uh, we played a really good game first half. And then some guys are like, ah, where'd we play that game? Was that on the road or was that at home? You know, it's really interesting to me. Guys that have played for the program or played big time college basketball in general, um, how they all kind of have differing recollections of things and how they've gone down. Uh, but you know that uh, that was a good synopsis of the whole thing. Flyers rattled off eleven wins in a row, ended up losing to Arkansas in the second round down in Austin, Texas, and that was was all she wrote. Um, you know, to go you know, further into the history books for people, I know you mentioned early on in your Flyers career was when they let Don Donaher go, and um, yeah. I think that's that's well documented. You know, if you look back through the Dayton Daily News of kind of how that all transpired and whatnot, mm. but. It kind of leads me to to the obvious conversation that I don't think I've ever had on this show before. Is it you know right after that, and um, you know I, I guess you had kind of been a part of the transition from such great teams into you know once you left some of the worst teams that the Flyers had had. And my question was just well, looking back now that it's thirty years in the rearview mirror. What do you attribute that to for Dayton going from, you know, on the doorstep of being in the NCAA tournament and then winning a game in, in 1990 to 10 wins in two years in 93 and then 94? I mean, it was such a, a great drop off. And Larry Hanskin's giving me his opinion on it and, and Coach O'Brien, how he wasn't a fit for college basketball. But you were a lot closer to Coach O'Brien. Of course, you played for him. What's your yeah. perspective now? 30 years later of, of kind of why things went off track for the program. Well, it's hard to say, but I know in 84, we lost to Georgetown in the final eight, 85, we lost to uh, Villanova at home. We yep. went on to win the championship and we had that game. Uh, a lot of things could have changed if we'd have won that game. Uh, then 
injuries started setting in in the program. And I think Coach Donner was starting to get tired of recruiting. He brought in this great class, which was my class with the six other guys. Yep. Miguel and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and Bill and Nolan Robinson, Corbett, and those guys. And we didn't really recruit those four years because we just had a, we were, we had our eight core guys We no one was transferring, no one was going NBA. And we kind of got lazy there. Uh, the shot clock came in fast. The, uh, the three point line came in in 87. That kind of coach disrupted coach Donnerher's uh, slow down uh, style of play yeah. possession by possession. I think we averaged six three point attempts the first year the NCAA allowed the three point six. <laughs> I averaged, um, you know, numerous games. I had 17 three point attempts myself one game. You know, we just didn't play the way the game was beginning to change. Sure. Uh, Coach had some tragedies, and, you know, I loved him, and we all liked Coach Donnerher, and we just felt like we weren't going anywhere. And Brian yeah. O'Brien came in and just blew the world off with the conditioning, the three-point shooting. We're going to win now. Believe me, we're going to do it, and we did. But And he was – I think the key here is um, he was not a recruiter. He didn't like recruiting. He lost Damon Flint. He had uh, Juwan Howard almost in the bag, and – and we lost that to a big bag, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, I actually didn't know that. I had no idea that Dayton was yeah, like he recruiting was on campus uh, with Damon Flint. We, we we went for broke and we didn't get him. And now we were. Then we went to the JUCO route and brought in Chip Jones. Uh, I that was my senior year. I played with Chip Jones and Derek Dukes. Both were high school teammates in Woodward. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it it just didn't work. Uh, you know, and Chip was a great guy. Derek had a great career, but, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, we went into this great Midwest. We weren't ready for it. We didn't have the team, the personnel, and then it just, all hell broke loose after that. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's like all hell broke loose after that. And-, and we were forced to go into that league. I think, you know, we, maybe we could have gone to the, uh, I don't know what, if it was the A-10 when Xavier went there, but yeah, somewhere or another, everybody broke off and we went to the wrong league. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, you know, the great Midwest league was only around for UD for two years. And then the Flyers made the jump into the A-10 uh, in the off season of 1995, going into the 96. Of course, been in the league every year since we're going into our 28th year, believe it or not, in the A-10. Uh, still only one A-10 tournament win on our own floor. Still chaps my ass to this day. But I digress for the sake of conversation. Um but yeah, that, I mean, that's the shortest summary of it, right? Is that I've, since all of this was kind of happening while I was uh, being born, like actually, you know, a small kid, um, I, you know, I just don't have is the same perspective as I do with the team since I was maybe say 10 years old, right? Well, for your sake, thank God there was no podcast back then. <laughs> yeah, and, I know, I know. And thank God there was no Twitter, Sully, or it would have been wild here in Dayton. <laughs> oh my gosh, if I ever have to sit through a 4-26 and season, I'm shutting the show down. You can you can believe that, Norm. <laughs> this show will not make it through a 4-26 and year. Um, the FCC would have to shut everything down. Yeah, that's right. I'm lucky I haven't got a fine as it stands. Fans from ESPN Radio, um, but yeah, I mean that um, that point's well taken. In that, I think um, every every year, like without fail, I'll tell you this: is that when the Flyers lose a really bad game, right? Or uh, let's use this past year as an example: they lost three games back to back in non conference. Probably like the worst stretch they've had in in the Dayton basketball program since like the nineties, right? And I just rightfully called it out. I'm like, I can't even believe what I'm watching. Like Keith and Larry, they're in disbelief and blah, blah, blah. So I bring this up because every time something like this happens or there's a losing streak, there's always like three or four graduates of like the 93 to 95 era. And they all quickly remind me, hey, it used to be a lot worse around here. And I'm like, okay, I understand. It used to be a lot worse, but we have to make sure that we never get back to that right. <laughs> that plateau, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, obviously, uh, it goes without saying, say it anyway. Dayton will never you know, get back to that. No, um, I don't think we'll be there unless we just were decimated with injuries or something. But yeah, it's, that, that was the problem is we weren't hurt when we went down there. We didn't have a lot of injuries. You know, we were playing walk-ons and freshmen. Um, 
but you know, um, it, it's 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 to be an alum and a former player. I'm proud of where we're heading now. You know, yes, yeah, I, I think the recruiting of what Anthony has done um, is amazing. And then you add the player development. I can't wait to see how these guys. I hear Malachi has gained 15 pounds. I can't wait to hear see these guys play. Uh, and see and witness their improvement. God forbid they all improve, which they they will, because uh, they're putting in the hours for it. Uh, and I do think they have a chip sh- on their shoulder, like we had mentioned earlier. Uh, I think they have the mental toughness to to not have more than one bad loss. You know, if you go in there and saying you can't have a bad loss, then the pressure you put more pressure. It's kind of like don't yeah, turn the basket, basketball over, as a coach will say. Well, then what do they do right when you come? You turn it over. Yeah. If you tell a kid to limit your turnovers, well, then he might turn it over once and catch it you, and figure it out. You know what I mean? Shake it so, off. Yeah. Yeah. So I think these guys are, are going to play a little more free. The schedule, you know, they got to go to the uh, – I don't know. Do we know who they play in the preseason tournament? I mean, I call it a preseason. Yeah, you know the Thanksgiving tournament. Um, no, the matchups have not been set as of the day of this recording, no. Yeah. And something tells me that we'll have to face Kansas after each one of us win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would probably uh, – it would behoove the organizers of the Thanksgiving tournament <laughs> to do that, right? Um, yeah. Because they've been such a great game in Maui and obviously, you know, such a great game in uh, – was Orlando last year. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to those matchups coming up. We still have a little bit to decide. Uh, I think there's four games left to decide on the schedule right now. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Virginia Tech news breaking earlier today that the Flyers are going to play them on a Wednesday afternoon in December. But, uh, yeah, you're spot on. I think uh, the tournament organizers would be foolish not to put Dayton and Kansas on the same side of the bracket. So if they both win, you know, they get that date with each other in, in game two, obviously. Um, but, you know, it leads me to, to why we're here today, and um, that's – TBT. It's right around the corner next yeah. weekend. Uh, we're recording on July 13th here for you, releasing on the 14th. And uh, the Flyers are back in action next weekend, the 23rd of July, uh, in the arena. And um, it's your third year calling the games, right? So yeah. looking forward to it, obviously. You and Ken are on the mic uh, on ESPN Radio, correct? Yeah, Justin does a great job calling the games. He loves it. You know, he does some stuff for Wright State on some other sports and, uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable on basketball and sports in general. I yeah. know people get mad at him because he's a right state guy, but he can root <laughs> for one guy on our team uh, with Joe Thomas. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We got a right state guy to cover that quota. That's correct. Yeah. You know, and we got a couple of, we, we got Kufos and CJ. Uh, I think, I think this team's going to be obviously better with, with uh, Scucci and, and adding Kufos and, uh, Adding Joe Thomason, I think we're more athletic. I think Ryan Mikesell will be solid this year, having a year of pro ball under him belt. I heard he did great. He did, yeah. And signed with a bigger league. Uh, a lot of the guys have upgraded their their stature and where they're playing. And I think uh, the fans, you know, they're going to be there to cheer them on. Um, that second round game is going to be a, a, a real – Real test with the Golden Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, Joey's done a, a great job. He, he and his buddy have done a Bonzu have done a great job of, uh, you know, promoting it, the, the Red Scare. And I, you know, having it at the arena, there's a lot of opportunity for them. They're definitely a better team uh, with Cybert, you know, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Smith and, uh, and V Sanford. Uh, they're better, going to be better defensively, and and you know these type of games, uh, the Elam ending, uh, the, these uh, it's a different brand of basketball. Teams get hot. Um, there's a lot of different runs, and really conditioning to me, conditioning and sh- rebounding, and can he make shots? Because yeah. a lot of these guys are just starting to play. They may not have their legs, so it's important, you know, because they've been taking off so much time from their uh, European leagues. Uh, it's important to be in shape, man. You, this team has to be conditioned to run a, a, a long game because the Edelman ending, they turn the clock off. That the, the endings can go forever, and uh, or they can be real quick. Yeah. Uh, what's what's so your you feeling on shape? What, what's your what's your feeling on the Elam ending? Out of curiosity, are you are you a fan of it? Not a fan of it? It's it's probably got to be unique to call it, you know, on the oh. radio. 
Hey, Sully, I'm a big fan of the Elam ending. I think it's great. Me too. Uh, it, it takes some of the coaching away, but it also, uh, you know, like in the game, decision-making is all kind of gone and thrown out. The, the game's a lot faster, and that's what I enjoy. I think younger crowds, you and yourself included, and I'll put myself even though I'm over 50, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I like to see it. I like the excitement, you know, and I, and I saw where the NBA is changing that breakout foul rule. You know, if they get a three-on-one or a three-on-two and they, the defense fouls, the other team gets now a free throw plus the ball out of bounds. And I think that's going to be good. I think people just hate the reviews and hate uh, the, 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 the going to the scoreboard. And hand. I'd rather just make a call and, and uh, you know, I think sometimes they get it too right and it takes the game away. The teams get free timeouts. That's not how the game is designed to be played. I agree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So No, I agree. It's man, it's I um appreciate this. This is good to get on with you. <laughs> yeah, man. You gotta talk through all these issues. I mean, the 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 refereeing problems in pretty much every sport now. Um, and it's because of video technology. Some sports can get it more accurate than others, like you know, Wimbledon just finished up here in July. It's a lot easier to make a call in a tennis match because the whole court's monitored. You take a look at it, five seconds, boom, that's the call, and you move on, right? The NFL, it's like they've tried to overcorrect their officiating, and unfortunately what it's led to is more ambiguity instead of less because every time they change a rule, it feels like something comes up in a game that contradicts that rule, and then they have to course correct again, and then they're right back where they started basketball is kind of in a place like baseball where they want to have reviews and reviews are productive and you want to get the call right, but you don't want to get the call right at the expense of the flow of the game. And and that's the biggest problem that both basketball and baseball are running into right now is, Hey, we want to get the calls right on the field, but at what cost? Right. And I think when all this started, let's call it the officiating revolution. I think I was on the, um, I was on the side of get the call right, but I didn't really realize the ramifications of that sentiment. And the ramifications are you could take a five minute review to get a call right because it's so ambiguous. Well, now it's okay if you can't decide in a minute. Well, then the call on the field should stand because it's taken you this long to correct yourself. So there's certainly a lot of schools of thought about it. Um Thankfully, I think the TBT is really good in that regard because it's a little bit closer to playground basketball than NBA. And what I mean by that is I think you've seen on the sidelines, those games are really physical, Mm. right? And I I don't think it's going to change this year because, you know, guys are going to be chirping at the refs and the refs are probably going to let them play a little bit more so than they would at, say, you know, Dayton and St. Louis in January. I mean, you just get away with a lot more because of the nature of the tournament, right? I will say, though, that Dayton, uh, St. Louis has become a big rival. Um, yeah. Don't you agree with that? And, Absolutely. And, and I think Travis Ford and Anthony, they, they're very similar coaches. I mean, both teams play physical. They're not like we're not in the 90s. St. Louis ain't going to break 65 half the games. Yep. Uh, they miss free throws down the stretch. Um, you know, uh, it, to beat St. Louis, it's like a TBT game. It's a man's man league and, you know, uh, very difficult. That's why I was saying conditioning is so key and having Kufos in the middle, just having a big body there to bang around Yep, is going to be a – not that Devin Scott and those guys couldn't do it last year, but, you know, I just thought last year – they just didn't seem fit uh, to beat that Miami team. And I think this year will be a different uh, – I think they're coming in with a little more – with a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's been the, the theme of the program, right? Is it like whether you're talking about the, the TBT guys or the actual Dayton Flyers that are taking the floor in November, it's uh, the, the theme of the program and the show today uh, specifically is is chip on the shoulder. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, in, in finishing up today, I think the thing that I keep saying to everybody is – Uh, I'm really curious to see what kind of crowd we get, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You don't have to travel for the TBT. We don't have to go to Columbus. We're not playing in a small gym. We're playing at home. Uh, Even more motivation for the guys, even more excitement for the guys on the court, guys like yourself. Um, You know, I I think it's a perfect break in the offseason, you know, to give people some basketball. 
Um, but I will say, Norm, thank God they got some air conditioning in the arena because I'm sure you went to some summer practices there where you were not thrilled about being in UD Arena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the tartan floor those days, you know. Yeah. It was hard on the knees, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they've made some changes, especially I remember my best story would be going to the MC Hammer concert at the arena when uh, I remember going to some of my funnest times were not basketball games. You know, I, <laughs> I saw R.E.M. Uh, you know, if you if you went to Flanagan's or Tim's, you'd you'd meet the bouncers and then they were the security guards. Yeah. Uh, they'd let you in in the back. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can remember seeing some really good shows that, you know, those days are long gone, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 For better or for worse, I suppose. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, man, I'd love to see actually what like the crowd at an MC hammer show, like if he had one, you know, like next week, I'd love to see that crowd. That'd be fantastic. People watching. Well, the, everybody's doing the hammer in the aisle, man. Yeah, that's, what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Now you're taking me way back. <laughs> I'm going to have to end the show with a 90s song now. So I'm glad that you started those gears moving for me a little bit. Um, hey, back to life, back to reality. That was our theme song back then when we played, they'd come out, the cheerleaders would play at halftime and, and they just, we had some dancer, I forget it. He could dance like anybody's business and he would do the hammer out there to, to the songs at halftime or the timeouts and get the arena rocking. So uh, kudos to the cheerleaders. Yep. Yep. Um, well, that's what I'll end the show with today. Then uh, that's a perfect segue, right? I always need a yep, song man. to end the show. So I'm glad that you gave me one throughout uh, or through the conversation here, but yep. um Finish it up with Norm Grevy here on Talking Out Loud. I hope you uh, enjoyed this uh, this blast down memory lane as we love to do it, like I said, with former players and and all former Dayton Flyers alike. Um, you know, Norm, to finish up here, I know we went over on time, and I always appreciate uh, the time extended and, uh, and coming on the show to talk some Flyers hoops in the middle of summer. We'll have to do it after the season so we can, yes. you know, debate a little bit, you know, get our skip. We'll get into it next time. Yeah, get our Skip and <laughs> Shannon on a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but well, uh, I do appreciate, you know, as a fan, I appreciate what you do for the program in terms of trying to put the put it out there. And the more recognition the Dayton Flyers get uh, in this day and age, the better, whether it's NIL or media exposure. Uh, this podcast, people can hear it anywhere. And I, I just think uh, uh, you're a good fan. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism uh, with the program. And I just wish uh, Anthony gets over his tragedy and. Uh, Yep. And I think they're I think they got the chip that they need. And I think it's uh, going to be a fun year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss if uh, I didn't end the show with with that exact sentiment. Um, you know, two people we wanted to dedicate the program to today. First one, you know, daughter of Anthony Grant, uh, who passed away tragically recently here within the last couple of weeks. And then mm-hmm. um, our dear friend Mark Schlemmer uh, used to do the, the show with Kenner on ESPN radio. Um, he, he had a tough battle. Uh, was in is in poor health for um, for a long time there, and um, and passed away uh, just recently last month. So um, you know, I I wanted to dedicate this show to the two of them. You know, people that are around our program, you know, around our community, uh, the people that have you know meant a lot to you know Coach Grant and Schlemmer into the the Dayton sports community. So um, I'm glad you brought that up, or you know, reminded me that that is exactly where I wanted to go with the show today because it's. Um, it's been, you know, it's been fun for me to, to kind of do this, interact with players, fans and and um, and really just, you know, be be a mouthpiece for some, you know, in some aspects of the program. I don't try to speak for everybody or do this show with any kind of agenda. I really just um, I just want to talk oops with people. And that's kind of how it's mm-hmm. always been. And sometimes it's more critical than others. But at the end of the day, we're kind of all fans. And I think um Twitter is unfortunate because you you only get life 160 characters at a time. And I think every time that I do get guys like yourself on the program, they kind of recognize that the reasons I'm critical is because I care so much. And, you know, people right. people don't get mad about stuff that they don't give a shit about. And um, and this is is really no different. So. Um, You're no different than mom and pop down in Kettering yeah. get frustrated after a loss and go crazy after a win. Yeah. It's, it's it's just being a flyer, man. Yeah, unfortunately, my <laughs> voice is a little bit more public than them, again, for better or worse. But uh, Well, thank you um, very much for the time. Yeah, Norm. I always let my guests have final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts for the Flyer fans before TBT? 
Uh, show up. Yeah, there you be go. Loud. <laughs> yeah. Show up and be loud. You heard him. Show up. Get to the arena on the 23rd for the TBT. Um, that'll do it for our show tonight. Again, this episode uh, dedicated to Jada Grant and Mark Schlemmer, uh, two people around the Dayton basketball community that will be sorely, sorely missed. And uh, you know, I, I would, uh, wouldn't be doing my job here. Uh, if we didn't shout out one more time as we close up the program. So you heard it from Norm. You're going to hear it from us a couple more times before the 23rd. But show up. Wear red. Be loud. That's what we do here. We'll catch you next time right here on Talking Out Loud. I'm taking you out with soul to soul. Back to life. Back to reality. See you next time.